Do you need to call Sotheby's? I'm Anita Joyce here with Kelly Wilkness, and this is Decorating Tips and Tricks. Antiques, are they worth it? This is a hot topic over on my blog, Kelly. We'll have to read your post. (laughs) Should have done it before today. Yes, I think that might have been a good idea. But uh, yeah, so this is a real uh, burning questions people have. Uh, I get asked this all the time. Uh, Are they still popular? Where where can I sell my antiques? How how do I know what they're worth? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know how can I find out the value of my antiques? So it's just a it's a very interesting question for a lot of people. Well, because we, a lot of people that listen to us really enjoy antiques, or we enjoy antiques, or people get antiques gifted to them, and maybe they don't want them, but they want to see whether they're, they're worth something. That mm. always makes, you know, aunties passing <laughs> a little easier to take, I exactly. guess, if you get uh, you get gifted something fabulous. Uh, but, you know, stuff might be just hiding in your closets or your attic that really have value and other things you might really love. And they don't have value because... They only have value to you. And that's okay, too, because beauty and value are really in the eye of the beholder at the end of the day. So it might not be something that's a hot uh, item on the auction block right now, but it might be something that just is absolutely beautiful to you or holds sentimental value. So there's all sorts of reasons why someone might collect antiques. Um, but if there are things that you have that you're curious about as to the value, we're going to go through some particulars today as well as just discuss the topic in general. Right. And the other thing I wanted to mention is the market is shifting rapidly. So if you had a feel for what something was worth 15 years ago, it's probably not been stagnant. It's either gone up or down since then. And so it's really something that you need to stay on top of if you know, if you want to know what your antiques are worth, because it's just changing by the minute, I'm finding. And things that were super expensive 15 years ago, some of them not so much now. So if you're wanting some of these things, this could be good news for you. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's almost like flipping houses. Like if you if you're buying an antique you know, with the hopes that it goes up in value. Well, you know, it's, it's kind of like a crapshoot because you really can't predict what's going to happen. Um, or, you know, I guess you can maybe get a handle on how many there are of a certain thing, but even if there's only one, if nobody else wants it, it's not, it doesn't really have much value. Right. So, you know, like you're saying, I think that the tides in this shift pretty rapidly, it goes with trends, it goes with taste. Um, it certainly would depend on the uh, condition of the particular item. So a lot of things would go into whether or not something is of value. Right. And I'm going to stick with what I've uh, been, what's been my philosophy from the beginning in buying antiques. And that is, if I love it, love it, love it, then okay, I'll, I'll look at possibly buying it. But I've, I've never been buying antiques thinking, oh, this is a great investment because it, it is such a crapshoot and you really don't know. Some things go up, some go down, and I'm just not an expert on this. And you just don't know what's going to happen in the future. So 
it's, I don't recommend you investing in antiques for a return on your investment, but if you love them, then sure, get them. I mean, you're just going to have to look at the, what the cost is versus, you know, how badly you want it. Uh, and that's, to me, is just the reason whether or not to buy it is, is it in your price range and do you love it? Yeah, I, I, I would underscore that. I totally agree. The, the way I would <laughs> I approach most antiques is, you know, can I dig it out of a bin? You know, what can I, did I find sort of a diamond in the rough? So I'm really not looking to spend a whole lot of money on my antiques, um, whether it be furniture or small pieces of decor. And what I'm interested in, and um, I've got some information to share, and I'm hoping that Anita might have some additional information to share is, you know, what are these things that you might come upon at an estate sale or a thrift store that really do have some value, but others might not recognize that. And so we'll give you some insider information today that, you know, might help you, uh, you know, get something for a dollar that turns out to be worth a thousand dollars. Well, it happens sometimes. Uh, Wait till I tell you my story. You know it. I'm going to share it today. Oh, that's, you. Yeah, well, I think I do. Yes. Yeah. Well, are we ready to kind of talk about why the market has shifted recently? Yeah, or- sure. You, go ahead. Okay. okay. Well, I think that the the things like uh, family heirlooms, furniture, crystal, silver, china, these were things that really had a lot of uh, value to people in the past. And there was a, people had a lot of pride in these family heirlooms. And they really kind of were status symbols in, in in many ways. And people really revered these antique things. And it was just, you know, kind of the thing you, when you got married, you registered for China and crystal and silver. And I'm not sure exactly when things took a sea change, but I think the beginnings were in the 90s because it seems like in the 90s that's when offices started shifting to more casual business attire went more casual and the lifestyle of people went more casual and remember when people used to dress up for church and airplane rides and yes, and flying on the airplane. I remember, I remember as a being kid. little, and you would get my mom would get an outfit, and I would get an outfit, and we'd go yes. to Bermuda, and we'd oh. look fabulous when we yes, got there. Did. Probably be hot and sweaty, but it looks good. Oh, I remember flying just regular, exactly as a kid, and it, I was not in first class, but they gave me this nice, uh, you know, nap, real napkin, and a beautiful plate of uh, fresh fruit, and. Anyway, times of anyway, that's a whole nother story. But right, and people dressed up for flying on a plane and going to church and going to certain events, and that has changed. And it's not just something that's changed with what people are wearing; it's really the whole lifestyle of people have changed, and the formal entertaining just doesn't happen like it used to. And so, I think at some point, people said, "You know what? I don't really entertain formally, so I don't need china and crystal and silver." And guess what? Some people said, "I." I don't want to wash this hand wash the china. I don't want, and I'm just going to say gasp here because I I don't want to polish the shil- the silver, which is just crazy to me because I love silver, really love it. So that is not that's a fun thing for me to polish my silver. I enjoy kind of getting my pieces out and polishing it. But so I think it just kind of fell out of favor with people getting married, and then they weren't buying new. In fact, 
at one point people would be inheriting and they would be registering. So people would have two and three sets of, of silverware, I think, in the past. And so this kind of trend of people not registering for that stuff anymore has happened. And then when they've inherited stuff from grandparents or parents, they've said, I don't, this isn't fitting my lifestyle. And they've sent it off to a thrift store in some cases. So this has really impacted the price of the antiques because the supply has gone up and the demand has gone down. So of course, what's going to happen? The uh, prices are going to go down. And I, that's kind of in a nutshell, kind of the way I see, you know, the, the shift recently. I, I mean, do you have any other thoughts on that, Kelly? No, I'm in agree. And that's sort of the attainable type of antiques, you know, the, the easy to get the wedding china, the silver, the crystal, those things that you would think typically on a wedding registry. Yes, I think that the market is flooded with those now in certain respect. But, the, but you know, then again, there are certain things like certain brands, certain patterns, mm-hmm. certain materials, or the uniqueness of an item that may have value, you know, beyond what, you know, the, the, the original price tag, you know, is still. So, you know, there are certain things that would still hold it. And then there are certain, you know, the trends changed. People didn't want to have a formal um, place setting for 12. Maybe they wanted to have mid-century furniture. And then that became more popular. So it shifts. It's just an, it, just different things are in the forefront. People are searching for different things. And, you know, it could all come back. I mean, we could all be setting the table like, you know, the White House did during the Reagan administration, you know, soon. <laughs> Who knows? Right. So, no, that's you know, a good point. And, and if you I, love it, use it, hold on to it, yes. use it for decorative items and things like that. But, you know, it's not just crystal, silver, and china. There's all sorts of antiques out there and things that you might stumble upon that, you know, you should definitely not pass over. Right. In fact, like you were talking about the brand, the brand name is critical because that is going to impact the value of things. And also, obviously, it's it's impacted by what people are buying and are not buying. But people love brand names and designers. And uh, this is not furniture, but it just kind of reminds me, I was walking through the thrift store recently. Uh, it's the high-end one um, here in Houston called The Guild. And it has a, had a case of Hermes ties and they were obviously used. It was a thrift store, but they were still pretty expensive. So, you know, they really hold their value a lot more than just a regular tie. So I think what, you know, the brand definitely does have an impact. Right. So in some of these things like Hermes, you know, a lot of people would know Tiffany, Tiffany lamps, like even a Tiffany lamp base without the beautiful Tiffany lamp shade has a very high value still. Um, there are a lot of knockoffs to it and things like that. But if you have the original, if you trip upon an original, even if it doesn't have the shade, you know, it could be it could be worth a couple of thousand dollars. So those are things that people might know right off the bat. But then there are other little known ceramicists and different uh, people that were making items or small companies that may have only had a limited run and they went out of business. So, you know, we're going to give you some information on some particular things today too. So when you're shopping or thrifting or state sailing, you know, turn things over, look at the bottom. You just never know. So I might as well tell you now my little story and then, um, you know, we can continue on with the general conversation and then maybe some specific things. So one of you 
who is a bespoke decor shopper or formerly a bespoke decor shopper may have gotten the deal of the century because I had years ago, and I don't even remember particularly where because it's a blue item and I was not, you know, I'm not really such a blue girl, but it was a really pretty um, coffee pot and it had a Staffordshire type of pattern. So not the flow blue, but, you know, the, the deep cobalt blue Staffordshire with some um, your designs on it, some figures and whatnot. And it was just too perfect to leave behind. And I think I probably got it for like maybe $10 or something like that. I've had it in my stash for a while and I thought, well, this will be lovely. Everybody loves blue and that shops have bespoke. You know, we've had some other items in the Staffordshire look that have gone and been very popular. But each of the items, I would do some research on it and get a general sense of, you know, what the value of it is, what the actual value on the market is, not, you know, me picking it out of a box somewhere. Um and so this one was just so pretty and I, I took some pictures of it first and then I was like, okay, now I'm going to put it on the shop and write it up. Let me see what, you know, this is all about, what the pattern is. So the pattern turns out to be uh, Lafayette at Franklin's tomb. So that's Ben Franklin's tomb. Now, other Staffordshire coffee pots have different patterns and they're, you know, they're not that expensive. This one is a very limited pattern, and I guess because of the people that were on it, depicted Lafayette and and Franklin's tomb, it's valued at well over $1,000. Like some places had it for $2,300. So the average, I'm thinking, price for someone who knows about this pattern and is a collector of it is somewhere around... Fifteen to sixteen hundred dollars. That's crazy. So I immediately texted Anita and I said, "We need to shift <laughs> the sale this week. I can't. We are. We can't sell this. Oh, no, no one's. You know, we. No one's going to have enough information on our uh, site to want to spend sixteen hundred dollars on this. So we have to feature another pillow or something. So I still have this. Mm-hmm. I am going to take it to an appraiser and make sure that what I'm seeing online is correct and see mm-hmm. if maybe somebody's interested in purchasing it from me. But see how important it is to have a look at the things that you buy and particularly paying attention not only to brand as we've discussed but pattern as well because I would this just looks like a really pretty blue that I've seen countless numbers of these types of coffee pots at well, the Rose Bowl you know in the state sales and whatnot no way it are the others worth this. It's just this particular pattern. It's so interesting to sort of dive into the world of of this pattern and people that collect it because there's 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 something for everyone truly, and there's usually like an organization, uh, you know, about different things like people collecting Staffordshire. And there's so if you have a piece that it, you're not sure about. Google it, look it up. You'll probably find a whole bunch of other people that have it and they'll probably be able to help you figure out through their websites or things like that, their associations, what the general value is. I did find out with Sotheby's, they are doing consignments now. So you can submit it to them and they will give you an an auction estimate for your item. And they will tell you the wholesale and retail estimate for your item. That's good to know. if you want to list it with Sotheby's, you just, I think, list it. You can keep it at your house. Mm -hmm. And then the seller takes care of the, you know, the transport, the shipping 
and uh, you know you get you get paid. It, it's gonna you, know, you don't have to sh- send it to anybody until it's um, sold, and then right. I think they they take care of the shipping for you. Uh, but they do have a limit, I found out, of $1,000 wholesale value. So it has mm-hmm. to be a lot of at least worth $1,000 mm-hmm. wholesale for them to list it on their site. But anyway, that's some interesting information for you. So you can contact them if you want and get oh, some yeah, information. Oh, yeah, I think I will. So that's, that's the only a- thing I would be really worried about is shipping it. Could you imagine if, you know, the top broke or something like that? Oh, my gosh. Well, I don't know how that works with something like that. I don't know if they send somebody to pack it up for mm-hmm. you. If you're packing it, clearly that would need to be insured. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that would have to be signed for. And oh, that's good to know. I'm going to look mm-hmm. into that. So it, can you put a link in the show notes uh, mm-hmm. as to sure that? Sure can. Sure and hey, before we get any further in, I wanted to tell you guys about Country Sampler. You may have heard that Anita and I's column is continued. The Decorating Tips and Tricks column is now featured in the Autumn Decorating issue of Country Sampler magazine. It should be on your newsstands now. You can also purchase a copy of that or get a subscription to the wonderful Country Sampler magazine um, online. And so we'll put a link to that in the show notes. So, you know, if you're in your grocery store, definitely have a look. I think we're on page seven and eight. And there's a really nice ad for the podcast as well. So they were so nice to include an ad along with our column. So um, we answer questions there like we do at the end of every episode. So you might be interested in our answers to these two particular autumn decorating questions. So have a look and pop over to the show notes if you'd like to get more information about Country Sampler. So do you have any items that you found uh, over the years? I think your chairs, right? Well, my chairs are really in question because they are from about 1805, Mm -hmm. probably made in Boston, hand-painted, very unique. But the real question is, is the paint original? Uh, So that, I think, is the big question on what they're actually worth. Mm Mm-hmm. So um, I'm not really sure, but I have seen similar upwards of about five thousand dollars. Whoa! So uh, for for six, which is what I have, but mm-hmm. I don't know the actual value of mine. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I think for now, I'm going to keep them. I just think they're so beautiful, and I'm going to protect them so we can use them. But you know, the, the it's interesting. The frames they're so old. The wood is just. They're very lightweight uh-huh. and the legs are super thin. So you think, oh my goodness, these are so delicate, but actually just solid as a rock. They don't, they're, they're not flimsy. The joints are solid. And um, I think these, this older wood was so hard. The grain was close together and they actually can support more weight than maybe a similar sized piece would be that was, would be built of the wood grown today. That's so interesting that the wood is different, the density of it. But that haven't you found that with antiques? They all seem to be, the wood was much lighter. In fact, I've got uh, reclaimed oak hardwood floors, mm-hmm. and they really hold up so well because mm-hmm. it's such old wood. It's pretty hard to, to gouge them. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, are we going to talk about some particular things now, or do yes. we want to still talk about? Okay. No, so, I think so. Go ahead. I think in general, if you have a painting that uh, you're not sure about, 
you should have it appraised. And there, everybody's probably got some local appraiser. They you know, may be a service where they do it for free if it's from some an antique store or something like that, because maybe they would think that you'd want to consign it to them or sell it to them or something like that. Because um, you just never know with a painting. It could be just some sort of, I like to call them, you know, Sunday artists, which is, you know, I think of like somebody who just took up a brush and took an art class and was, you know, painting sunflowers or something on, you know, on the weekends. Uh, but it could be an up and coming artist or an artist that was popular at a certain time that you just have never heard of. I mean, I'm certainly no art historian. And even if you were, there's so many artists in the world over the course of, you know, 100 years, even just 100 years. Think of all the people who have created some paintings, you can't possibly know them all. And and if you're not well-versed in what's, you know, in, of interest in the art world, who knows? You could have something that's really valuable that either was handed down to you or you got it uh, an estate sale. Yes. And I found one example, uh, speaking of brands, of a 20th century Louis Vuitton steamer trunk that was worth $750 in 84 that is now worth $15,000. I would say that's more the exception than the rule. Most things are not worth more than they were uh, 30 years ago. And in fact, a lot of things, a lot of antique furniture, especially that 18th century looking furniture, well, or or I guess I should say American antiques uh, from the, actually I should say the American antiques from the 1800s, some of that's down about 80% in what it used to be worth. But uh, but again, this is Louis Vuitton. So that's going to make a big difference in, in the value. Right. And I'm sure it's in perfect condition. And it's a very recognizable high-end luxury brand. And it's not a chair. I think that's the other thing. Because people tend to buy new furniture, but maybe they'll use... But I think there is an interest in getting some older accessories. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of... And the fact, you know, the brand is definitely driving it up, Mm -hmm. the price. Something that might be surprising is vintage computers are really hot. Uh, You know, it's not going to be your MacBook Pro from three years ago, but like from the dawn of the computer, they are valued very highly by collectors. So everybody's not going to want that. But if you happen to have something like that that's sitting in your attic, you know, if you have a computer, a big giant computer from when they first were coming out, whether it be a Mac or- I had the compact sewing machine computer. Well, do you still have that? Well, actually, well, it was when I worked for Compact, so they owned it. So no, I don't. I gave it back to them. <laughs> yeah, but uh, there, there's definitely a market for those. That's the thing, like just to understand what there's a market for. Um, one thing that I came upon that totally blew me away because you would just never even know that it was valued. It was a an original shaker round box. Now we've probably all seen them, and we've probably and those all have seen- always been popular. I mean, those right. have and, always been hot. Right. But it's, you know, I mean, like so easily reproduced. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, it's sort of that yes. wood wrapped and the surround mm-hmm. thing. You would, I mean, I don't know how you would ever discern unless you were an expert whether or not it was an original shaker. You That's know, a good point. A shaker know. person held it mm-hmm. or whether or not, you know, somebody just made it last week. But this particular box was purported to be valued at $5,500. Stop it. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, you know, another thing that uh, used to be hot mm, about 15 years ago are the toll hand-painted trays. 
Do you know the ones I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. A lot I have of times a bunch of black. Yeah, mm-hmm. I do too. And they weren't, in, they were not inexpensive. And now Mine were. Uh, they're probably. <laughs> Oh, shut up. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> well, if you bought it, when did you I bought buy it? I bought it for yours? $10. Yeah. Oh, when did you get it? Oh, no, I just buy, you know, you buy them at, at yard sales and stuff. People don't right, want right, them. Right. No, no, right, right, right. They'd That's rather have you take it off their lawn than have to pack it up. Right, right, right. So mine were bought a long time ago. But now, yeah, it's probably about a third of the price. So that you can get them even at antique stores for right. a lot less than right. they used to sell for. So that's a good deal. Those are pretty. They're very and, pretty. Uh, and I, you, use, you mm-hmm. use it, right? Mm-hmm. And you love it. So yeah, that's I awesome. would not shy away from those, especially since they're such a great deal. And I do love something like that. That is hand painted. And you know what's hot too? And I feel like the bloggers uh, are partially responsible for this are those Florentine stacked tables. So expensive. I used to see them for like $25, $50. And now it's not unusual for me to see a stack of them for $350. Well, that was thanks to our shabby chic lady. Rachel Ashwell put those on the map mm-hmm. for sure. Yes. And I think I've mentioned this in a long, I long ago, far uh, away podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because okay. I've seen them in her store in, oh, okay. over on the West Side. I don't know that I saw them on her website, but okay. Yeah, got it. No, because I- A lot I of people, I, a lot of bloggers use them, but yeah. Right. Well, I may have mentioned this in a long ago, far away podcast, but I got a set of those at a epic yard sale. I did very well at this particular yard mm-hmm. sale. Um, for I think they were like $15, $5 a piece for the three of them, the baby, well, the middle, and they're the They're not one. all the same either. Now, some of them are plastic and some of them are not. So you do have to, you know. Yeah. Well, they're that's not true. all the same. But the, I saw them at the Rachel Ashwell store and they were $325 mm-hmm. for the set. Yeah. So Yeah. You know, and she probably got them out of the yard sale too. So that's just the way it goes. She, yes, actually, I used to see her at Round Top, mm-hmm. and we used to shop the same place. Yeah, well, she used to show originally at the Santa Monica Flea Market, which they don't have anymore. It was like a tiny version of the Rose Bowl, and that's where she started out. And she was just whitewashing everything, and then everybody yeah. was like, "Wow, that's new. We've never seen that before." <laughs> um, right? So, and they hadn't, and so there you go. Don't you just love a great recommendation from a friend? Well, we're delighted to be recommending these companies and their wonderful products to you today. And let them know your friends at DTT sent you. Another thing that you may not think of is old perfume bottles. I was very intrigued to stumble upon this when I was researching for this episode because what did I just find at my favorite hospital thrifty? But um, an Avon perfume bottle that's rather tall. It's got to be at least 10 or 12 inches tall. And it's the Eiffel Tower. Oh, oh, I bet. Did you see this? I have it. I bought it. Oh, uh, I bet that is worth something. Well, I don't know. I it was $8. But she, they had a whole collection of them. I don't know if it was an Avon lady who had, you know, they cleared Gone out road. her attic <laughs> or she went bust or, you know, um, it, there were all types. There was men's aftershave in like an old roadster and they're all glass, but they're shaped like something. There was, you know, like a, uh, a man's one that was like a horse and there were other ones mm-hmm. for women. Yeah, there were lots all of different cute shapes back in the day. Right. Yeah. So apparently those have value um, in general, old perfume bottles. Um, there is actually even something called the International Perfume Bottle Association. Oh. 
So if you have a bunch of old perfume bottles that you just kept because you thought they were pretty, who knows? You can go on there. I think they want you to sign up and give them your email. I, I was checking them out. And you can search and pop in what you've got and see whether or not, you know, one of these crazy collectors, they have... um conferences and all kinds of stuff. It's so interesting what people are into, right? Yes. Well, you know what I see all over the place that is super hot right now that is uh, something that has held its value are the, um, uh, the, the globes. Yeah. The world globes. Those yeah, are, globes came back on pretty pretty strong. Yeah, yeah. So those have really held their value. So if you are looking for one of those or have one of those, I think you're in good shape on those. And you can never go wrong with first edition books. Mm, yeah. Uh, you know, as particularly if it's in good shape. I mean, it's just a wonderful thing. As especially we- if it has your picture on the front. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That one would be really good. <laughs> That's going to just only go up in value. Um, but a first edition books. We love using books and decor, as you well know. And so it's very useful to use as a riser or just mix in with your vignettes. But a first edition book, you know, particularly if it's by, you know, even if it's a, a much older author, um, could really have a lot of value. So like a Charles Dickens first edition, like if you, mm-hmm. fa- you know, go oh, to your yeah. library, little, uh, you know, secondhand store and they have those, well, don't leave that on the shelf, you know, take that home with you. That's going to be worth something for sure. Yeah. And as I have kind of hinted about before, the silver has really gone down in price versus what it was priced at probably 20 years ago. So there's some bargains to be had there. And I really do think that that will come back. And it just, there's so much craftsmanship in so many of these silver pieces. And I will say though, looking at silverware, because I always love to to look at it in the secondhand market on eBay and Etsy, uh, the the name brands are going to hold their value more. But for example, I'm just looking at some sterling silver Tiffany spoons uh, that are probably worth half of what they were maybe 10 years ago. Uh, so that's a great buy. And I, uh, if you're wanting something like that, and I look at a lot of the French brands and they're, they're, they're down in price, but they're, st- so they're a great value, but they're not you know, they're not just giving it away. So uh, it's it's going to be something that I think that's going to hold its, I don't see it going down much lower because I think it's already pretty low. Um, but uh, the, the if, it's an, if it's a brand that's well known, it's going to be worth a lot more. Right. And if it's sterling, then, you know, you're still going to have the value the of the silver. So exactly. I mean, worst case scenario, you keep Melt it, it down. Yeah. You keep it for 85 years and then somebody yeah. else inherits it. And if they just want to melt it down, they've got the value of the silver. So you're never going to really lose money. Mm-hmm. Uh, investing I think in that something was the like argument. That. I used with Kevin as to why I needed to buy some sterling silver pieces. Oh, see, if the world goes to pot, we can always melt this down. Exactly. And you've got some gold bars <laughs> hidden under the house. Yeah, no, but, but great idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, a little off decor, but if somebody has any um, costume jewelry, that's not all junk. I mean, sometimes mm-hmm. you find uh, there'll be like a cigar box or something like that, of that, that sort of thing at a... Uh, an estate sale or a thrift store, go through it. You know, if you have the patience and, you know, you're not sweating and it's not 95 degrees out, take a few minutes and go through it. I was once with my dear friend years and years ago and 
she had a great eye. Her grandpa was a jeweler and she bought the whole box for 50 cents and there was a diamond ring in it. Oh, wow. yeah. Yeah. It was a very simple diamond solitaire, not a big one, but you know, definitely worth a lot more than 50 cents, which was like, she didn't know if it was going to be real or not, but she felt like maybe it was. And for 50 cents, why not take it? And they were like, take well, yeah. the whole box, honey. So she did. Oh, my goodness. Well, and I, my friend Caroline, when we go to Round Top, she's always looking at the jewelry. Mm-hmm. And there's so many gold-filled pieces that are really, you know, they're not solid gold, but they're very, very reasonably priced and, well, and very pretty. And a, a particular designer that you should look out for if you are in the market for custom jewelry uh, is Miriam Haskell. Anything Miriam Haskell is going to be of value. So if you're if you do like that sort of thing or you want to learn more about Miriam Haskell, we could put a link in the show notes and you could just take a pop over there and see what she does and then you'll get an idea of what her look is. And if you see something like that that's reasonably priced, even if you would never wear it, you might be able to resell it for a lot more. Yeah. And you know, another thing that I think is uh holding its value and actually going up in price are some of these old real flags, the real ones. Now I do have to preface this by saying there's a lot of reproduction flags out there that, you know, aren't aren't worth anything. But the really old flags from battles or different things, they're very, they're, they're not, I think they're really holding their value and still worth a lot of money. Also, antique Christmas ornaments. I am such a sucker for the shiny brights and... I can link in the show notes to a, a post or I did a couple of posts upon how I found like the mother load of shiny brights at an estate sale one time. I mean, I was something beyond excited about it and it was 95 degrees and I was dragging giant boxes of Christmas ornaments to my car, but nothing was going to stop me. Um, as far as the shiny brights, you can see them in a various price points, but you know, never really more than like $25 or $30 a box. Um, I think, and I think really what gets you with those is the shipping because they are so fragile and they have to be shipped to you packed really carefully. So, you know, you're probably spending as much for the shipping as you might for the shiny brights. But if you love them and you can't get them where you are, then definitely have a look on Etsy and eBay for those. But what you should really look for are these particular type of German Christmas ornaments. As we know, the, the, you know, the Germans a la Albert brought us, you know, the Tannenbaum and the Christmas tree and the Christmas decorations and all that. So Germans have this long history of, um, decorating for Christmas. And there's a particular, uh, pear shaped ornament called the Kugel that was made between 1840 and 1940. And, Hold on. If you're if you're on the elliptical, hold on. One recently went to a collector for eighteen thousand dollars. Oh my goodness, that's crazy. I know, but see, that's the thing. But some if they lo- if someone loves it, that's their thing. Just like yeah, Lafayette wow. at uh, Franklin's yeah. tomb, like that's your thing. I don't even like the pattern. <laughs> I yeah, think it's kind of ugly. Like these, like two dudes. One is like laying on a tombstone. I'm like, why would I want this coffee? Because he's coffee dead. Pot? You mean? Well, what? it's his tomb, and the other one's laying on it, like bemoaning his death. And you know, like, ah. Uh. But somebody really thinks that's fabulous. 
This is what makes the world go round, Eugene. I know. Yeah. Well, what about the McCoy pieces? Uh, I like those a lot. They're a well, little I off do, my look, but I like them a lot. I, I like them too. And thus the term, it's the real McCoy. Mm-hmm. It's referring to a brand called McCoy. And the real McCoy, that's what they would say. It's the real McCoy, meaning the the actual McCoy brand was worth a lot more than the fakes. Mm-hmm. And I would say it's still worth more than the fakes. However, they seem to be about worth about half of what they were worth about 15 years ago. So now can you describe for everyone what they look like in case they don't know? Well, I think each one is different, but these are planters. Right. But it's like generally kind of very simple lines, right? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you might do a better job of describing them, but yeah, it's not, they're not fancy. And they, they usually kind of have more of a matte glaze or maybe exactly. just become more matte over time. No, I think that was a particular way that they glazed it. And I think McCoy is out of Ohio. There were a lot of ceramicist uh, companies out of Ohio in those days. I could be wrong, but I'm, I think that's where they're from. Um, yeah, almost, I don't want to say Art Deco, but definitely tending towards that a little bit more. Very cl- sort of clean lines, maybe, you know, some fluting on the side or something like that. And yeah, sort of matty, pastel-y, kind of also like the Roseville uh, ceramics, which are a little bit more feminine. I would say they're like kind of 1940s looking, but again, that same sort of matte glaze. Once you know what it is, you can recognize it from across an estate sale. Um, and Roseville used to, is very highly collectible. And I think also used to be valued a little bit higher than it is right now. But again, if you love it, it's just beautiful for floral arrangements. Lots of times they have flowers in relief on the uh, pottery. Uh, one, uh, ceramicist that I had never heard of, but, uh, I read about it in getting ready for this episode is Malcolm Leland. So he's sort of a, you know, one dude, but he had a small company and he was more sort of like an artist, a slash, uh, ceramicist. He once received, uh, an honor from, uh, from the Metropolitan Museum of Modern Art. Um, so he has a certain statue, a status in this world. And he made a lot, a lot of his pieces were white. So they might even resemble ironstone to our ironstone collectors, but very simple. Uh, you know, not going to have a lot of more like, uh, almost, almost mid century, uh, but white. So kind of just very simple and lovely. So I understand from reading that a picture was purchased by someone, a very tall one, like almost 11 inches tall for $1.95, and it was worth $1,500. Whoa. So this is easily something, I mean, you know, it's not going to happen every day, but you can see this happening that you're at your thrift store and you're in that aisle where there's all sort of the, you know, the glass cylinders and then like the pictures and then, you know, something else. And then you're kind of pushing the stuff back and you say, oh, this one's really pretty. You know, it's, it's white and mm-hmm. I like it and it'll look pretty with flowers and you take it home and you just make sure you turn it over. Cause if it's a Malcolm Leland, then you want to call Sotheby's. <laughs> right. It's going to be worth a lot more than a dollar ninety five. And all dishes, you know, we both love dishes. All dishes are not created equally. Some of them are worth a lot of money, whereas others are literally like not worth five cents. <laughs> right? I know. So it definitely, if you you definitely need to turn them over, see where they were made, see who made them, kind of figure out when, and that'll kind of tell you a little bit about what they're worth. And you know, I did a blog post when I first started blogging 
in 2011 on my dishes, my Franciscan Rose dishes, uh, desert, excuse me, Desert Rose by Franciscan. Some dishes I have, they're, they're, uh, kind of in relief. There's flowers on them that are pink and they're hand painted. And these were really popular. I don't know when they were first made. Was it in the forties maybe? Do you know? I don't know anything about that pattern except what you've told me. Okay. Well, it was originally made. I can't remember when they first made it, but it started out in California. And then in the eighties, they started making it in, in England. And it wasn't quite as nice. Not that they wouldn't do a great job there, but I mean, I think they did some changes in the production process. So they did the, this pattern wasn't as nice and now it's made in China and does, it's not even recognizable as the same thing, but, um, that is still super popular. And I get questions about it still today. And just so many people that are asking about what it's worth, or maybe they're wanting to sell it, maybe they're wanting to buy it, they're still using it. And mm-hmm. and it's just so interesting how it has uh, held interest. I don't know that it's held all its value. It's probably gone down some, but but not maybe, not too badly, maybe. Yeah, I mean, certain patterns just, uh, you know, strike a chord with people and they, you know, they, they carry on. Something I learned about doing this research too was coin silver. Have you ever heard of that? Well, yes, I have some silver uh, forks and things that are coin silver. Okay. I didn't know anything about that. In fact, I would probably say to my eye, I would be like, oh, that's more like pewter, you know? But so anyway, if you're not familiar with what it is, it's actually silver pieces that are made from melted down currency. So it Because it wasn't worth that much, that currency I guess, right? I mean, like, you're like, wow. So it didn't have a high, well, let me just say this. It did not have a a super high silver content. So it had other metals mixed with the silver. Yeah, they would melt it down and this is but it tends to be worth something because of when it was made. So I'll let you talk some more about it. Right. So this one uh, silver, coin silver coffee pot from Bailey Banks and Biddle, which I think is a jewelry store that's still around. I, re- I remember. I think so. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I remember hearing about the, um, it was made somewhere between 1841 and 1860, and it's worth $1,500. Now, this is one that if you're a shiny silver person, you would be like, oh, God, I don't even want to polish that thing. I don't even know if you polish coin silver if it would get yes. really shiny anyway. Yes, yes. Oh, well, I don't know that it's going to get really shiny, but it does tarnish. Right. So there's something to look for. You know, it's coin silver. It may not be silver yeah. plate. Maybe it is this coin silver, and apparently that's really worth something. Yeah. And then when you get to American old silver, the marks, I shouldn't say American because really all of it, it's so hard to decipher some of these marks. And an M meant one thing if it was made in the US during this year versus maybe made in England during some other year. So it's really hard to decipher a lot of those marks. Uh, And then the coin silver, I'm trying to remember what the mark was on that, but it did have a specific mark. But also some of this sterling silver, the marks, if it was real sterling silver, a lot of times it was so soft that it would wear away and you couldn't even read the mark anymore. Oh. Yeah. So it's... Well, I, I for one, I cannot pass up little pieces of silver, even, you know, coffee pots and teapots. I mean, I oh, just, me too. I have way too many of them sort of clanking around with me. <laughs> but yes. I just can't resist those. Something else I can't resist. And probably some of you have this in your attic, or maybe you're 
using it for decor seasonally, the flexible flyer. Now, a real deal flexible flyer from the late 1800s. Ours isn't that old, but we have one. Yeah, go ahead. It's worth somewhere around $1,500 as well. And it sold for about $10 when it first came out. I thought it was a really sweet story. It was uh, originally created by Samuel Leeds Allen. He's a Pennsylvania farm equipment inventor who wanted to keep his workers busy during the wintertime. So he created this first steerable sled. And I guess his workers would make that in the off season and they, uh, Hamaker Schlemmer picked it up and some other big company around that time. I can't remember the name of the company and they were selling upwards of 2000 of them a day. So there's a lot of them out there. Now, what you want to look for to see whether or not you have one of the earlier versions is their, their original red logo. And then in red, there's this sort of scroll work around it. It kind of definitely has like a Victoriana feel to the look of the logo and the scroll. And that's, I think, one of the telltale ways to know whether or not you've got a real oldie. Oh, interesting. And if you do, call Sotheby's. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> or call me. I don't know. I'm not going to pay you $1,500 to write. But yeah, just tell me you do. I'd be so excited. You have any yeah. more? Well, no, not really. I mean, I, I have just, one I'm- more. Yes, let's hear Okay, it. so I love, you know how I love all things garden and I love vintage garden. So I have this whole collection of vintage garden frogs. Like mm-hmm. the, I love the, those too. Yeah, so the frogs you would use, the pokey frogs, not an actual, you know, croak, croak frog, a frog that you would use for flower arranging and they come in different shapes. So they so are- it goes in the bottom, right? So you goes in the it bottom. Is. It's heavy, mm-hmm. it's probably made of cast iron and you can stick the stems in and arrange your flowers. Well, I just kind of like have them in a collection. I have maybe a lot more in a box. You know, I just have a lot of them. I, it's again, it's something I At least you resist. get them cheaply, I'll say that. Oh no, I I mean, I don't spend more than like a dollar for them. But and they're, they are not that highly valued. I'm sure there are certain ones that have a higher price tag, but I don't have those or I don't know if I have those. But there was something that is an actual frog. It's a lawn sprinkler. Now, this is, again, something that you could just trip upon. It doesn't have to be a frog, but they were these sort of charming little sprinklers that came out in the 1890s by a particular company called Weller. And Weller really was a a pottery company, again, in Ohio, but they came out with these lawn sprinklers because the Victorians, you know, they like to have their garden follies and all that. And they wanted to have their gardens like um, those in England. It's just something really charming. So this little cast iron frog sprinkler that may or may not work sold for $2,600 recently at auction. Yeah. That is amazing. So, you know, turn things over. Look, you know, look for different names. Look for Weller, you know, look for McCoy. Look for all these different things that we talked about today. And I'm sure if you want, you all have ideas about things that you know about. And so, you know, definitely email us and we can um, add that information to other episodes and fill everybody in so we can all be just have just be fonts of knowledge when we're out there uh, checking out things in antique stores and thrift stores and at estate sales. Yes, yes. Keep your eye open. And I don't think this is really 
the end of antiques, I don't think you should stop buying them. I think it's a great time to buy them. But, you know, be judicious. Don't just buy it because it's an antique. Make sure it's something that you really love. And I think you'll be, you know, in good shape. Do you have a crush for us today? Oh, I do. Well, I had talked before about the Russell and Hobbs retro-looking electric kettle and toaster. Oh, yeah. I checked them out. They're just so darling. In these gorgeous, gorgeous colors. And I got the tea kettle in the blue, and I am in love with it. Oh. It is so – well, first off, it's so pretty. Now, I have to say, I was using the old kettle, and I detected a smell, like a burn smell. Mm. And I told Kevin, it's got to go. There's oh. something wrong with this. Only because you had a replacement waiting <laughs> in the wings. And then he used it later in the day. He said, you know what? He says, I used it, and it was fine. And I said, really? I don't think it is. And it could burn down the house. And it's not safe. So I think we really need your place. Now, when you use the kettle, do you is it a British-style plug-in one or is it one on the stove? Well, it doesn't have a British-style plug. It's an American-style plug, but it plugs in. It's, a, it's an electric tea kettle. Right. So it's a plug-in kind. It's a plug-in, yes. And is the Russell and Hobbs is plug-in too? It is the Russell and Hobbs, which is a UK brand, but it has an American plug so right you don't need a converter but i mean like correct. you know like put on the kettle like in england that means plug it in and like here it's like you put it on the stove so no, no, it's no, a no. plug-in yeah and- no yeah no i mean if you're using a tea kettle you know use the electric plug-in one because then you're not having to watch the stove it's got an electric cutoff mm-hmm. if you don't get to it right away it's not gonna be a fire hazard i mean it, yeah i really think electric tea kettle is really the way to go if you like tea. Well, okay. So the it's I thing I like about it is it, well, first off, it's just beautiful, but it also, and it just feels really good in your hand. It's not too heavy. Mm-hmm. My other one's ceramic, so it was kind of heavy. And so this one's lighter weight and it has a nice grip on the handle. Uh, but the other thing is it has a temperature gauge on the front. And, you know, I drink a lot of herbal tea and you really don't want it to go to boiling or green tea. You don't want it at boiling, which is 212 degrees, I think. Uh, so this is, you want it more like 175 degrees. So this one, you can kind of see when it gets to 175, which is pretty quick. And then you can just take it off, uh, turn it off and, um, you know, pour the water over your Oh, um, I didn't know any of that information. Now describe to us the blue. Oh, well, I'm trying to think what I would call it. It's kind of a baby blue. It's a soft blue. Mm-hmm. Cerulean, and maybe? Uh, no, I don't know that I would say that's what it is. Um, like maybe more of a baby blue. Okay. But you can go to the, I'll ha- include a link. You can look at it for yourself. But it just brightened up my kitchen and it makes me so happy. Oh, that's so nice. And if anyone needs an electric kettle, I do have one that I think maybe still works <laughs> just fine. <laughs> gosh, that's classic. Okay. My crush is um, a hotel that I recently stayed at. So I was in Boston over the Labor Day weekend and I stayed at the Liberty. And for anybody who likes um, old stuff and interesting architecture and buildings that are saved, you would love the Liberty. It's in on Charles Street, which is in the Back Bay area of Boston, which is such a st- stunning historic area anyway. Um, so it's just right at the end of Charles Street. And um, it is an beautiful uh, marriage of old and new. They've done such a great job uh, making it bigger, but still preserving the look. And the the thing is, it was the jail. 
Oh, really? Yeah. So it was the, you know, I think Boston is in Suffolk County. So it was the Suffolk County Jail. And I believe it either opened in 1855 or closed in 1855. I was reading all about it when I was there. And um, I'm getting the dates a little jumbled right now. But anyway, at the time, it was a state-of-the-art jail. They had uh, ventilation and they all had well, lamps and all of this. I'm staying in a hotel, I want a state-of-the-art jail that I'm going to be staying You really in. do. <laughs> I know. I, I know. It was a little weird because they, they've carried through the theme, the, the sort of the prison theme, you know, which I've Do never really called to be let out of your room. Decorated. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. They lock you in at night. Uh, but they've done it in such a way. It's really charming and not, not in a creepy way. Yeah. Not in a creepy way. And they, in a very respectful way. Um, and they've done a really good job of it and they were able to preserve this building. It sat empty like so many of these beautiful buildings do for a long time. Um, and thank goodness it did that where it just didn't get knocked down in the seventies, you know, when everyone was blowing everything down to put up, uh, you know, sort of ugly architecture. So they, it just sat empty. And then, um, I don't know what company first started with it, but these architects that worked on it did a really good job. Like, and the, um, the, the casual restaurant in there, I didn't think of it. I mean, it's, it's so obvious, but it didn't dawn on me. It's called the clink or clink. And I was like, Oh, clink glasses. And then like a day into it, I was like, no, that, that's like, you're in the clink. And then the, there's a, like a little bar downstairs. that's very sort of dark and very kind of so, sort of a sexy little uh, cocktail lounge. And it's called the alibi. <laughs> so oh, clever. that is funny. But it's, but it's done very su- subtly. I mean, obviously it doesn't sound like that with the two things I'm telling you, but do they have an example of, do they have one of the old jail cells anywhere for you to, can you tell it was a jail anyway? No, no, no. But they, but it actually almost looks like the building could, it could have been a bank. There's a giant vaulted ceiling. I mean, it is beautiful. Oh, wow. So well, I must have redone it. Well, no, that's the, the real part of the the, the oh, jail. Well, those, I don't well, know I where those the... prisoners appreciated that architecture. I hope they, they did. I don't in. know where the actual individual cells were. I'm sure then they built, you know, more of like a high rise that you walk through the original building. But anyway, check it out. If you're going to be in Boston, it's uh, really a lovely place to stay. Uh, I was able to use my Marriott Bonvoy points. So if anybody's a Starwood or a Marriott person, you'd be able to use your points there too. So check it out. I'll put the link in the show notes. Sounds great. Yeah, yeah. I'll be going back in October. So I'll, I'll let you know how it goes. Um, we have a question, which is actually a tip today. And it's from Julie Smith. And um, Julie really enjoys the podcast. And we really enjoy hearing that. So thank you, Julie. And She's just the most darling thing. And I thought it was so appropriate for today's episode since we were talking about antiques and some I knew silver and utensils would come into play somehow because we both like that so much. So Julie said we well, inspired her to make this creation. So what she did was she took a frame and it looks like it's almost like a gray wash. It's a very simple wooden frame. And she framed three pieces of silver wear, you know, silver utensils, just very simply. And it just looks so beautiful. She sent a photo of it and it's kind of on like a a small bit of a wall between two windows where she's got some um, white plantation shutters. And it's just really lovely. I'm picturing that it's probably like in her kitchen area or uh, like a a dining nook or something like that. But I didn't get a picture of the whole room, but it looks so pretty. And what a great way to display beautiful 
silver or silver plate utensils. Uh, I was thinking particularly if you stumbled upon ones that had your monogram on them or something like that. And so she's got the spoon, the knife, and the fork. And I'm, I, I emailed her back to ask her where, how she attached them. But it looks like they might even just be attached to the wall, like that the well, frame was- is just there. I was looking at that too, and it looks so adorable. It's really such a great idea. And I'm wondering if she framed a piece of glass that, because you're right, when you look inside the frame, it's the same color as the wall. Right. So I'm thinking maybe there's a piece of glass there because surely she didn't glue those uh, the to the wall onto the actual right. wall. That's right. my guess. Yeah. So, I mean, you could do it any way, shape, or form. You could just have a frame. And like Anita said, that's a great idea. I didn't think of that. You could just if you bought a frame, right, you just like it, just a picture frame, you just take out the cardboard and the, you know, the picture of that perfect family that they always show you or the graduate that's like on that piece of paper that's in the front of the frame, take all that out. And then you just have the glass and you could use some glue and just affix the, um, the utensils to the outside of that, right? Or if you had a backing on it, like you maybe did burlap or something like that, or any kind of textured background, you could just glue them onto that. Yeah, well done, Julie. Yeah. Very impressive. So if Julie gets back to us anytime soon with the actual details of how she did it, we can update this tip. But I think you guys can take it from here. It's a, It really looks great. It really does. Such a fun way to use things like that. So I love the idea of repurposing things. Uh, you know, I mean, we like to put our utensils like that, you know, maybe display them in a picture or something like that. And I do end up using them. The funny thing is that I have all these pickle forks and like, why in the world do you need pickle forks? But I use them all the time. <laughs> so what do you use them for? Because yeah, but I use my asparagus server. <laughs> I don't even know if I have an asparagus server, but now I want one. Oh, honey, you need one. What does it look like? Is it tongs? No, no, no. It's like something that they kind of, it's flat, only it's got a little rounded thing on the end so that it kind of holds on to the one closest to the handle and the others just kind of slide on. So it's flat with a little Uh rounded thing where the handle is. Well, you know what I'll be looking for on Etsy later on I think you're going to need one. I think you do. Wow, I wonder the value of the asparagus holder. So, no, my pickle forks—they're perfect for. What do you use them for? Well, they're they're little at the ends, right? So, yes, I when I do put if we have burgers in them or whatever, something the pickles are going to go. I do put them out with the pickles. Um, so for for what they're used for, but they're they're just great for all sorts of little things. They're great for you know like strawberries or just any little any little thing that you You want to use them for for serving or for eating. Well, usually for serving. Okay. So I'll put them in, say the pickles go in like a little flat bowl, like a little bowlish sort of thing. Like I have like a little terrine bowl and I'll just lay the s- spheres. We're sphere people, not oh, cut cool. pickle people. And okay. I'll just put the pickle fork with that. So it feels very comfortable with the actual pickles, but you could put a bowl of berries or something like that. And somebody oh, could just, you know, instead of a spoon, they can pick each one. My girls are very particular. You know, the berry can't look possibly bruised in any way, shape mm-hmm. or form. Yes. I always get the question, when did you buy these? And I always <laughs> just say about 10 minutes ago. And oh, okay. And then they can take the, you know, the few that they want. So yeah, I make use of them that way. But I love Julie's idea of displaying them too. Really well done. Mm-hmm. Great idea. So today was fun. I hope you guys got some information that you find either interesting, 
fun or useful or all those three things. Um, go out and treasure hunt. Let us know if you find anything fabulous. Let us know if you have any of these things lurking away in your attic or your bins. Um, let us know if you have any other treasures we should know about and share the information on in an upcoming episode. And remember, we are here to inspire you to create a beautiful home. Until next time. to remind you that we are available for design consults. We take on your design dilemmas, questions, renovations, any project you want to talk about, any room, any space. We are here for you. And we really do enjoy doing these. And I think we've helped people a lot. So if you want to sign up for a consult, head to the link in the show notes. It's decoratingtipsandtricks.com slash consult. We hope to talk to you soon.